Isn't that awesome, man? I tell you what, man, I love it. That was a great job. Hey, good morning. My name is Dave Nelson, uh, lead pastor here of K2 The Church, just in case you are visiting and really want to welcome you. Um, I, I had no idea that show even existed. How many of you have actually seen that, uh, that uh, Doomsday Preppers? Crazy, man. I mean, it's, and, and by the way, uh, do you notice a little yellow box on the corner there? Uh, National Geographic has changed a lot since I was a kid. Uh, I, I don't know. The things, the things were, they're going down. But <clears throat> I love the quote at the end. The last thing that guy said was, as long as nothing happens, preppers are idiots. But the day after it happens, they're genius. I mean, there's something there. There's, so, there's something really profound, I think, actually, in that statement. Now, I will say, the guy who's got his camper down in the hole in Indiana, I mean, that is impressive work. But uh, Shannon, our producer, I quoted her as we were looking at this video. She said, if a meteor hit and I had to live the rest of my life like that, just take me down now. <laughs> you know, little Mad Max in the Thunderdome. You guys remember that? I'm really showing my age. Okay. So, but here's, here's the issue. It's quite a different thing in, with Doomsday. It's quite a different thing to prepare for a tragedy or for doomsday and preparing for eternity and what we're going to look at here in just a minute to actually prepare for the day of the Lord, as the Bible talks about. See, because if you notice, their preparation was if something tragic happens, I want to be ready to know how to live down here, right? Their, their whole thought was, I got to figure out how to live down here if something horrible happens. And what we've been talking about for the last two months is Jesus has been trying to help us to see, actually, there is going to be an end time, and then you're not going to be down here. I'm actually, you're going to come and be with me. See, that's a really different preparation of say, how can I handle a world that gets destroyed down here? And preparation for eternity, which says, okay, I'm going to prepare right now for my life after I'm gone, after I die from this planet. And what's interesting is that quote, I think, fits the same way. Um, if you're a person today, like me, who really does believe what Jesus said, that there is an eternity that's awaiting us, and if we're preparing ourselves for our ultimate destiny, did I just lose me? Did I lose me? All right. Uh, but if we're preparing ourselves for an eternal destiny, I think that quote works as well. As long as nothing happens, preppers like us are idiots. But the day after it happens, hopefully we're going to be a genius too. So what are you prepping for? Are you prepping for a doomsday? Are you prepping for eternity? And that's where we're going to dive in and we're going to look at this. So, man, I'm excited, but i got a ton to say, so let's just dive right in, okay? Let's pray and let's believe that we're not just coming to church. Let's believe, God, help us right now to believe that you are here, that you are real, that your presence is real. Thank you, God, that you want to love on us Thank you that you want us to actually experience you and know you. Thanks that you're in the business of restoring and redeeming and changing lives. God, you want us to live life to the full. And Lord, you also wanted us to know what this was all about. What are we here for and what's this life for and what happens after we die? And we thank you for the series, for a chance to dig into that. But I pray right now and I ask that you would help me. Please be faithful to every word that you want to say. Because I know, again, that's what we need, God. We need to hear from you today. And we're going to trust and hope that that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so go ahead. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament, kind of near the end of the Bible. Um, you can grab your phone and pull up version if you want. Grab the Bible on the phone. Otherwise, it'll be ready up here on the screen. And I do have a ton, so let's go. Verse 1 of chapter 5. 
Brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you because you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will actually come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, Day of the Lord. What are we talking about here? This is a term that was used a lot in the Old Testament. It's also a term that's used here in the New Testament. And it basically is this. This age, this part of history, eventually God makes very clear is going to end. And the day of the Lord is when this age is over. And a few things are going to happen. That is his day of judgment. On the day of the Lord, that's when he's going to come and he's going to go, okay, in judgment, again, if you make any judgment, you're just saying, this is right or this is wrong or this is that. You know, like, again, if you're, a, if you're an umpire, you go safe or out, right? I mean, you're just making a decision. On the day of the Lord, God's going to come down and he's going to say, okay, this is of me and this is not of me. And it will be on that day when anybody who has actually said, yes, I actually do believe, Jesus, that you're the Son of God and I love you, he's going to say, okay, that's of me. And anybody who did not want, who walked down this planet, who said, no, I actually don't want you, God, in my life, he's going to go, okay, I'm just going to make the judgment. And you already know the answer to that. You said you didn't want me. It's going to be a judgment on the day of the Lord. The other thing that's going to happen is that's when he really, it's the ultimate rescue of his people, a rescue from our sin. I love him, I still sin. Anybody else? I love him, I'm still messed up. But after the day of the Lord, I'm gonna be changed in an instant and so will anybody else. It's gonna be awesome. And I'm finally gonna be set free from my goofiness. Well, I'll probably still be goofy. Maybe I just won't sin as much, or at all, I guess is what the Bible says, which is really cool. And then he says, I'm gonna establish my kingdom. So he's gonna rule and he's gonna reign and it's gonna be a beautiful thing. That's the day of the Lord. And in that passage, it told us a couple things about that. The first thing is when Jesus comes on that day of the Lord and the culmination of history and this age is over, he goes, it's, it's going to come unexpected. Nobody's going to know. It's going to happen like this. Everybody's going to be thinking peace and safety, as it said. But all of a sudden, it's happening. And here's the second thing he says is nobody knows when that's going to take place. So I, can I just say, I get a little frustrated when people write books and say, hey, this is when it's going to happen. And I'm like, why do you say that? Because listen to Jesus. This is Jesus, Matthew 24. He says, about that day, the one we're talking about, he says, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father and the people who write the books. Somehow they got the secret. I don't know how they got that. But he's just making, you can just know. I mean, if people are trying to tell you this is when it's going to happen, that's why when those things have, you know, we've all come up and, and it gets on the news and it's just no one knows, Okay. But listen to Jesus. Understand this, he says. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would not have let his house be broken into. Right? Great illustration. You know, if you got a little memo, got a text, hey, I'm coming at 1.30. All right. <laughs> you know, the thief's coming at 1.30 in the morning. You're ready, right? No, you're not coming in my house. He goes, if somebody would know, you would know, but nobody knows. And then he says, so you also, you and I, you got to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The culmination of the age and the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, is just going to happen. All right? So let's move on. Chapter, uh, verse 4. So he says, But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then... 
Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So, he's saying this. He's talking to the church here. He's talking to anybody who's actually made a decision to receive Christ and who already has this eternal life within him. He says, now he calls us and he says, you're children of the day. You're children of the light. You're not of the dark anymore. Now, in the Bible, darkness and light is a metaphor that's used a lot and basically in two ways. It's used morally. So if, you're in, if, it's, if something is in the light, it means it's good. It means it's right. It means it's productive. It's loving. If something is in the dark, then it means it's bad. It's the destructive things in life. It's the, it's the things that hurt us and hurt others. So it's used morally, but it's also used as truth and deception. The light is truth, right? The lights are on, so you can see, you understand reality. You know who's in here, you can see it. And so the Bible says, when you are children of the light, you understand what truth is. The darkness is always tied to deception. If you've ever been in a completely dark room, you have to guess. You don't know what reality is in that room, and it's kind of scary. And so he says, listen, you guys now are children of the light. So he says a couple things here. Because of that, on one hand, he goes, you, this day, when Jesus comes, it shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you. Like a thief. See, because if a thief comes in, it's like, ah, oh, you're trying to steal my life. And I think that's why he used that term. He goes, because a lot of people on that day are going to be, wait a second, God, don't mess with my life. <laughs> right? But for those of us who are in the light, we're going to be like, he's not a thief. He's a what? Savior. Yeah, he's a savior. Good answer. That's awesome. He's our, he's our savior. He's not coming to steal our life. He's coming to what? Give us our life. And that's why if you're in the light, you're like, man, I can't wait for this day. This is going to be an awesome day when everything finally gets restored in the way that it should. So on one hand, we look forward to this day. On the other hand, this is what we're going to talk about mostly today. If I'm a child of the light, I'm still down here, though, in this planet, and I'm still dark and light in my flesh and in my spirit. I still struggle with sin, and yet I do things that are good. I, I'm, I'm in this. So he says here, since you are a child of the light, that has to affect completely how you live now. It should change how we live now. Don't be like those who are in the dark, asleep, or drunk. Be awake and sober. So in verse 8, it says this, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, anybody been drunk in here before? Don't raise your hand, you're in church. Okay, I'll raise it for you. I've experienced that phenomena. Very interesting. Here's one thing you know. If you're sober, what can you do? Yes, you can think clearly, right? So he says, if you're drunk, your thought process is a mess. So he says, here, since you're a child of the day, be sober, think clearly. And the word sober in Scripture is always used with being alert. Okay? So if you're in the dark, it's kind of hard to be alert because you can't see. If you're asleep, it's kind of hard to be alert because you're asleep. Okay? And you can't do anything about it. And if you're drunk, it's hard to be alert because you just can't make good decisions. You can't even process what's going on. So, little illustration, my wife and I love to hike, and on our few of our anniversaries, that's what we've done. Years ago, we went up to Sundial Peak. Anybody been up to Sundial Peak? Wow, you got, one of you, thank you. All right. Thank you, Austin, you and me. So, here, a beautiful, beautiful hike, but way up there, right? Well, 
when we did it, we did it in the day, right? And it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and we could totally enjoy the moment. We were relaxed, and everything was wonderful. And then we put up our tent, and as the sun went down, so did everybody else. And we watched all the hikers go down, and here we are on the top of the mountain all by ourselves in the dark. You ever, anybody ever done this? I tell you what, when you sleep, you know what you are? You're alert. And I'm telling you, man, I woke up on, on the hour, probably every hour, and all I did was sit there and go, oh, God, I, don't, I hope I don't hear anything. Right? See, because this is what we're, the word we're using today, guys, is if you actually live like you're never going to die, what Paul is saying here is you need to be vigilant. And if you're vigilant, what that means is you're alert and you're watchful, usually looking out to make sure there's nothing of danger. And I tell you what, man, sleeping in the night, way up there all by yourself, that is freaky. That is weird. Well, a couple of years ago, we did another hike. And we stood up there, and it was beautiful, and it was in the day when I could totally see. And all of a sudden, Susie goes, hey, did you hear that? And I'm like, no, I didn't hear anything. Ten minutes later, she goes, okay, did you hear that? And I'm like, I think I did. Now, as soon as we hear that, what do you become? Vigilant. Yeah, alert. So now we're eating, but we're also listening. And then all of a sudden, we see the grass start to move over here. She goes, you see that? I go, oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> okay, now we're a little bit more alert, and we're more vigilant. And then we hear a snort. Now we're very vigilant. Instead of sitting down, we're on the rock, and we're looking up, and sure enough, right down below us, out of the grass comes a bear. And then what do you do? Run. Yeah, you run. <laughs> the rest of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> Pet it? What? I don't know. No, man, you run. And so that's what, I mean, but here's, what, here's where we're going today. Is in the midst of the, like if you're in the dark, yeah, it's tough. But we were in the broad daylight, and yet there were things happening that we needed to be vigilant about for our own safety. All of us who are in this room, who are good to go, who are children of the light, you're children of the day, you're not in darkness, you're assured of what's going on. I'm telling you what, what we're going to see here, what Paul is saying is, while you're here, you must, as a child of the day, you must be sober. You must be alert, you must be vigilant. And then what he says is, because here's what's going on, you got to put on a breastplate and a helmet, okay? Now, if you're putting a breastplate on and a helmet, what's going on? Yeah, there's a battle going on. And there is a battle, and what we're going to look at here, there is a battle for our hearts, and there's a battle for our minds. A breastplate covers your heart, and a helmet guards your head. And what Paul is saying is, your heart and your head are under attack every day, and they're trying to get you to the point, I would say in two, two things. There's a constant battle to make us live for this world and to get totally caught up in this instead of living for the one we're going to. Okay? And there's a constant battle to have us live for ourselves instead of living for God. Anybody know those battles? Every one of us do. So let's go. And here's what we're going to do. Let's just dive in and see what he has to say. Three things. First one is this. If I'm putting on a breastplate of righteousness, a, a breastplate of faith, then faith somehow guards my heart. And it guards my heart from destruction. You guys, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the very central part of who you are. Your heart is where your affections are. It's where your desires are. 
Your heart is where you, it's where your will is. It's where you make the final decisions of your life. I love this translation. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Isn't that good? Guard your heart above everything else, because everything you do flows from this. You guys, don't miss this. You do live out what's going on inside of here. And so God says, so Paul and the, the scriptures tell us, one way you can guard your heart from living for yourself and for living for this world and totally getting duped about our ultimate reality is you gotta walk by faith. Now, we got a couple enemies, okay? Because we're in a war, right? So we're talking helmets and breastplates here. Why? Well, I looked up in the Bible other times it talks about being sober and being alert. First uh, Peter 5 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, I, I will just say I, I love K2, and I know some of you are here and you're just, in fact, just investigating or maybe even wondering about the Bible or wondering about Christ. Or, and, and it's like you might go, are you kidding me? You guys believe this stuff? And it's like, well, the reason I believe this stuff is because Jesus talked about this enemy more than anybody else. And if he is who we believe he is, if he really was the son of God and he came down here and he said, listen, you guys, you have very limited understanding. I know everything. Can I tell you something? You have an enemy. In fact, in John 10, 10, he says, the thief, he used the same word, he goes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so you could have life and life to the full. And here's what I know about this enemy, man. He will do anything he can to distract us, to discourage us, to disempower us, and ultimately to destroy us. Anything he can do to keep us from God. And so, and, but here's, we have another enemy. It's really interesting. James chapter four, verse three says this. When you ask, he says, if you ask God for stuff, he goes, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So, and I don't, I don't have this verse up here. But um, so, and I'm sure we've all done that, right? We ask for stuff, we want things. He goes, but the reason you're not getting it is because the only reason you want those things is because you want to, you want to live for your own pleasure. <laughs> you want to make it all about you. And then he goes on to say this. He goes, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us? Oh. Now listen, I say that and you're like, What? Wait, I thought, I thought the Bible said God so loved what? The world. So you got to understand this. When God so loves the world, what he's saying is, I love every person on this planet. And man, I'm telling you, if you follow Christ, you love every person on this planet. No judgment, no condemnation. We serve, we sacrifice our lives for everybody on this planet, just like he did for us. When he's talking about the world, what he's talking about is there are systems in the world there are patterns of thought in this world. And they are always working to get people to live for themselves instead of God. They are always destructive, either for yourself, or they are somehow oppressive towards others. 
And you guys, we all know this, man. There are, there are ways in this world right now that are not like God. They're the things that are causing consistently people to struggle with food or clean water or security. And there's just a bunch of stuff. And so he's saying, listen, if you get caught up in the ways of this world, if you start living for your own pleasures and for your own self, that is the exact opposite way of God. That's what's messing up this planet. The thing that makes this planet work is pure, holy love and sacrificing yourself for that, okay? So we have a couple enemies, man. We got the, the world coming against us and saying, because I don't know about you, but as soon as we walk out of here, everything out there is going to say, hey, do whatever you want to do, right? It's going to constantly lure us to live for ourselves. And that's a battle. And so here I am trying to live like I'm never going to die. I'm trying to live in a way that honors God. I'm trying to live in a way that I actually think about you more than anybody else. And yet everything around me is going to say, that's stupid. Live for yourself. It's hard. So Paul says, faith is the way that you guard yourself. And I think the reason that works, you guys, is because what faith does, faith is simply saying, I believe what you say more than I believe what the world says. And I believe what you say even more than I believe what my own heart says. <laughs> okay? By, by, the, by the way, that's when people say, just follow your heart. I'm like, oh my God, I tried that. Anybody else? Like, I, I followed my heart, and it screwed up my life. You know, my heart's messed up. So I'm going to actually, my faith is, I'm going to believe you because you know better than I do, and I'm going to believe you because I think the world's ways are not right, and they're not good. Okay, that's faith. But faith also, without action, is what? It's dead. So you can go ahead and sit in church, and this is what most, can we just be honest? This is what, what most Christians do, is they sit in church and they believe all this stuff, but then we're going to walk out of here and we're not going to do anything we say we believe. And so what happens? Well, our lives are a mess and we don't end up changing the world. And so what he's saying is, if you actually have faith, you're going to say, I believe what you say and I'm going to follow you. And that's why Jesus said, it's the person who hears my word and puts it into practice is the one who builds their life on the rock. When the storms come, you stand there. It's the guy who hears my words and goes, yeah, I believe that, and then doesn't put them into practice is the one who actually builds his life on the sand. And then when the storms come, your life falls apart and you go, where were you? Right? Well, I'll, okay. So here's, here's what we're going to talk about. Um, there's two things. That God, when Jesus Christ talked about our hearts, there were two key things that he said we got to address, okay? So I'm going to try to do this quickly. Anybody know what the number one thing that Jesus talked about when he talked about our hearts? Anybody know? Give me a shot. Money. Money. Good. Ding! Survey says. All right. That's it. So the number one thing that Jesus talked about, he says, if I'm going to talk about your heart, and you got to have faith that says, I believe you, and I'm going to do what you say. And it'll actually guard your heart from getting duped into living for yourself and duped into living for this world. we got to talk about money. And some of you are going, came to church and we talk about money. All right? So, but, but why? Why did Jesus talk about this topic more than any other one? Here's why. Because he said, I know something about you. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And that's why I talked about it so much. We, we can say this is what we love and this is what we believe and we can say we love God. Do you guys know this? You do. You and I resource what we love, don't you? 
I mean, if you love somebody, you bless and you pour into them. If you, that's just what we do. And so Jesus was saying, listen, I got to talk about money because that's the reality of where your heart is and you need to guard yourself because, and especially in America, there is nothing that's going to lure us more to live for ourselves instead of God and more to live for this world and get caught up in this thing instead of eternity than money. Now, I want to tell you, man, the handling of money is powerful. It's powerful because it affects your heart. What you give your resource to, your heart just follows. It just does. It's where it goes. And so the power of guarding your heart, above all else, guard your heart. Because from it, you will do everything. So he says, be careful what you do with your money because it'll make your heart go there. And the other thing, though, is it's power. The handling of money is powerful because what you do with your money affects the world. You guys, there is enough resource on this planet to take care of every ill on this, in, the, in the whole world. You guys know that? See, we can't go, hey, God, how come there's starving people? He's like, well, listen, there's enough food. How come people don't have clean water? There's enough water. There's enough money to build wells. There's enough. He goes, the, the real issue, you guys, is what's happening with our own hearts in this. What you do with your money doesn't just affect your, your heart. It's affecting the world. And God says, we got to talk about this. And so one of the things I feel like I, I, I need to do, well, we do this. Every about three or four months, we just do a financial update, right, at K2, okay? So do you guys remember back in May, we gave this our financial update, right? Do you guys remember this? It was awesome, because for the first time in a few years, right, with the economy, everybody was really struggling, and we went down. I mean, three months ago, for the first time, we actually made our budget and went, budget? We made our budget and went beyond, and it was fantastic. And because of that, we've been able to make some great increases. Well, here's what happens. Um, July and August happen, right? And this happens every year. And everybody goes on, on vacation, and we, and we travel all over the place. And I just need to let you know, Four months from now, when we just, our, our new financial update is we are actually now thousands of dollars short every week of where we've been. And that's just what happens. And so, but the question I need to ask you is, when we, we, we were celebrating and we were giving and we were just like, yes, I believe in this, has somehow, where's the heart of K2, right? Because I can tell you this, where our, our cumulative money is, that's where our heart is. And partly, here's what I got to tell you. I have been so excited because we've made some fantastic moves. We, we, when our budget it was able to increase, our Adventure Canyon staff, you guys, our kids matter so much to us. Over 300 kids have been roaming around this building today. And we finally were able to get our staff up to that place, right, where they're totally cranking and we can take care of them. Our youth is such a huge issue. And for the first time in our history, we've been able to hire somebody to oversee our junior high and our senior high. And that is awesome. Yeah, you can clap about that one. It's, uh, you're going you're gonna to actually hear from Eli. And I want to tell you, man, I did youth ministry. It's insane to do junior high and senior high together. It's just too much. And so we've been able to make those moves, and it's incredible. And you guys know this, too. 10% of everything that comes in that we bring in goes out. And so our, our, we've been able to, to totally enhance our ministry into South Salt Lake, the homeless community downtown, Lad right now is in Honduras, our partnership that we're revitalizing there after all the political turmoil they've been in, and our kids in Swaziland who now have a well for clean water and who get food from us, and, and, and you're sponsoring. All of those good things we're able to increase. We're able to bring God's kingdom into this world. 
And so can I just tell you, like, I just, that's why we're doing this financial update, because we, we didn't used to do them. So the fall is in, and I know we're all clicking back into our routines. Let's click back into the routine we were in just a few months ago. Can we do that? Let's do that, and let's make sure that as a church, we can just keep pouring it on and keep being the love and the grace and the mercy of God into this world. And I, and I tell you, if we'll do that, man, again, it's going to be the best thing for your heart. You're going to be free from yourself, and we're going to help change the world. Okay? So that's the first thing Jesus talked about with our hearts. Guard them with faith. The second thing that he talked the most about, anybody want to take a shot on this one? Uh, love. <laughs> so Jesus talked about love. And so the second thing that Paul said is love actually guards your heart too, but it guards your heart from yourself. And, and here's what we know, you guys. It is, is, um, it is really tough. Every single one of us has just a goofy heart that thinks about itself. In 1 Peter 4, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, here it is, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. And then he goes on to say, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Pray and love each other deeply. Do you guys, you know what prayer is at its core? All of prayer is to get your heart connected to God. So that's why you adore him in prayer, because it reminds you, oh man, you're so worth giving my life to. It's why you confess your sin to him, right? Because you get off track and you confess it so you can get back in line with him. And it's why you put requests, as the Bible says, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything according to my will, then I'm going to give it to you. See, everything about prayer is to put ourselves in union with God. Well, what is God? What is God? He's love. He's love. Be alert, you guys. You and I have a very selfish heart. Anybody want to? Right, we just do. And the very thing that combats that, the shield, the breastplate that keeps your heart free from itself is love. And I'm not talking about goofy human conditional love. Not the love that says, well, if you do this, I'll do that. And if you don't do this, then I'll pull away my love from you. That's what we all do. Jesus' love is so different. He says, I give out of my love for you. No conditions, no judgment, absolute freedom. I will forgive you. I will speak truth to you. I will serve you. I will sacrifice myself for you. I'm telling you what, you guys... Once you feel loved by God like that and you realize he loves you like that, it gives you a freedom to now love each other like that. And our hearts, even so we have an enemy spiritually, we have the world in its ways saying, no, don't live for him. Don't live for your, just live for yourself. And then we got our own goofy hearts saying the same thing. Live for yourself. Live for yourself. And love is the thing that will be your breastplate. It'll keep it from doing that. Okay? Last thing really quick is he says, now you also have to put on your helmet. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. So you guys, what's our hope? What, the hope of our salvation. Yeah, the hope of our salvation is this. I was a totally messed up human. I still am. But Jesus came and totally took all of my sin away. Right? He has forgiven us of everything. That's my hope. My hope is that when Jesus Christ was on the cross... He died for all of my sin. And when he was on the cross, he said these three beautiful words, it is finished. It's done. You know, that's my hope right there. 
Now, so Paul says, well, hurry up and put on your helmet, man, because I can tell you what, there's going to be some lies, and the lies that are going to come are, no, you're not totally forgiven. That thing you've done, that was a little too much. You are going to constantly hear accusation and condemnation in your own heart. And so you've got to, he says, man, put the helmet on. Because here's why he says that. He says, because if you don't have the assurance that Jesus dying for you was enough, if you don't just rest in that and enjoy that, he goes, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start trying to be good enough for him. And then you're going to start getting religious. And then you're going to start being miserable. That's it. All through Jesus had such a hard time with people who were self-righteous, trying to make themselves righteous. He goes, that will destroy your soul. So he says, man, the next time you think, oh, I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if Jesus totally forgave me. I better start doing enough for him. He says, put the helmet on and assure yourself, no, you are forgiven. It is finished. That's a huge one. Now, here's the other thing. You know what your salvation is? You know what our assurance of salvation is? It's that Jesus Christ is with me now, right now, and forever. And you know what the lie is? The lie is, no, he's not. Are you kidding me? Look at your life. Look what you're going through. And if he is with you, then he's definitely not for you. Anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but you, guys, you ever struggle with that lie? And, because, and, why, and Paul says, man, as soon as you start hearing voices in your head that God is not with you and that he's not for you, Put your helmet of salvation on. I say, no way, baby. When, when I receive Christ, he dwells in my heart. I have his spirit and I am reconciled to God. And the Bible says he is with me. Because if you don't put that helmet on, when you start doubting God's presence and doubting his favor, you know what you'll do? Instead of having the hope of that salvation, you'll try to find your hope in something else. And next thing you know, you're trying to find your assurance, your hope of finding fulfillment in a job. Because God isn't coming through, so maybe if I get a better job, or, or maybe if I find the right person, or maybe if I have this, and, and you guys, all the other things we try to find our hope in can all be gone in a second. And so he says, get the helmet on, because you're putting your hope in stuff that's going to let you down. People are going to let you down. Your health is going to leave you. Your job could be gone in a moment. Money is fleeting. Don't put your hope in those things. Put your hope in salvation, which means God, who loves you and is with you, is for you. Put the helmet on. You guys following this? I tell you what, man. If we will guard our hearts with faith and love and hope, then we will have what we need to be able to live our lives down here like people who are never going to die. We'll be free from having to live for ourselves. We'll be free from being duped into thinking that this world is all there is. And someday, when we go to be with Him, we're going to stand with Him. And the life we live down here actually impacted eternity. And that's what He has for us. So, the band's going to come up, and here's what we're going to do. Um, as soon as you walk out of these doors today, everything around you, again, is going to try to lure you into living for this world. Everything in, this, everything in this world, even your own heart, are going to try to lure you away from living for God and are going to try to say, hey, no, man, think about yourself first. So isn't that one of the reasons why we gather together every week? I'm one of the reasons we come together every week and why God, I think, designed the church and weekly gatherings was to say, you're going to need to, don't give up meeting together, you guys. Come and be encouraged and remember who I am. And then you guys, that's what worship is. When you guys worship right now, this is your chance 
to again put God, you are, and I'm not. And I do want to live for that, and I don't want to be caught up in this. This is your time right here to strengthen your heart and to renew your mind and to remember what is true and to fill yourself up with a determination to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love each other like you love yourself, all right?